0: On mypodcasthouse.com, you're listening to On the Grid with Tony Shabeki. G'day, everyone, and welcome. You are on the grid. You're on mypodcasthouse.com. Thanks for joining us. Time to have a look at what's been happening in the world of motorsport. And we do that all the time with our good mate, Richard Crail, who joins us now. G'day, Crailzy. Hello, Shabekster. How are you? Mate, I'm fantastic. A little bit of a quiet week for us, I suppose, compared to what we've been used to over the last couple uh, with what? not much happening here in Australia. What do you do on a weekend off, Chevex? Uh, ground announcing at the MCG. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I play with old Porsches and uh, clean my backyard, apparently. That's that's what I understand happens. Hey, now, But it's, it's a strange one.
0: On, on that, uh, and help me with this, because I know you've got the old 944 and it's a beautiful mm. car that you're restoring. Hmm. I watched Scarface on the weekend. Right. <laughs> now, had, did Al Pacino... Uh, no, yeah, Is it Al Pacino who's Scarface, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he Did he buy a 944 to try and
1: impress the drug lord's wife? Um, that, that's a good question. My recollection of that was it wasn't a 944, it was a 928. Ah,
0: okay, because it looked like a 944 and I just wasn't sure. It was like 10:30 yeah. at night. My eyes were starting to close, and I just saw it there. And I thought, "Geez, that looks like Richard Carr." Richard's car. Yeah, no,
1: it's similar colour, but I believe it was a 928. Had the open, sort of exposed, pop-up headlights. The the ovals. Through, Correct. Uh, headlights that you could see, and then they sort of slide up. Quite uncouth-looking thing, but yeah, similar philosophy. Front-wheel drive. Uh, 928 had a V8 rather than the four-cylinder that the 44's got. Um, but yeah, I, that's my uh, that's my. Memory of the car that Tony yeah. Montana drove. No, yeah. I, th-
0: I think you're absolutely spot on. Actually, then, uh, yeah, because I was just a little bit concerned about a drug lord driving around a
1: 944. What are you suggesting? No, nothing. Well, no, <laughs> come on, spit <laughs> no, it out. No,
0: just that it's such my, a beautiful car my, that, <laughs>
1: <laughs> my 944 doesn't wrong, run long enough at the moment <laughs> to carry any drugs any meaningful distance. So, <laughs> unless <laughs> you're doing a run rough.
0: from Lindoc to. Well, well no, not even. that's, no, that's exactly.
1: about it. It's, it's not, not known as a high-profile drug shipping route, so I'm not sure how effective it might be. Maybe anyway. some contraband red wine or something. Yeah, 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 plenty of that.
0: <laughs> hey, mate, uh, speaking of... Uh Good thing. What would you think of last night? First time they've been back to France uh, F1s for 10 years. I tell you Mm. what, I actually felt, I'm watching it, and I actually felt like I was in a psychiatrist's office in one of those old black and white movies where they spin that little dial around and you're watching it and you get hypnotized.
1: Those lines on the track,
0: what were they doing to me?
1: Look into my eyes, look into my eyes. You're going to fall asleep in three, two, one. Um, Yeah, it's an interesting place. uh, Obviously, Paul Ricard. resurrected about 15 years ago as a uh as a test track more so than a racing venue uh and that's what all the colored painted stuff uh off the side of the road is is high friction um paint basically that slows cars down when they come off so acres and acres of runoff despite that people still managed to find the fence uh on a few occasions um yeah look it was good um a fairly comfortable victory for lewis hamilton which was good but Uh, a a great recovery drive from Sebastian Vettel, the Red Bulls were strong and and they continued to close the gap. But one thing that irked me, Shebex, now I I stayed up and and Formula 1 this year has changed the start time of their European races to 4pm Europe, which means that in Australia they're starting basically on midnight, so it becomes a a late night watching this race. Before you
0: go but any I, further on that, can yeah. do we need to accept some of that responsibility for that? Because, of course, Australia started their races at 4 and 5 o'clock to suit European time, but I reckon the FIA have seen that and thought, hang on, this is nice that it goes right into that sort of dusk period, and I reckon well, that's why they've what, amended it.
1: Yeah, well, they've, they've they changed the Australian start time to suit European time, and now they've changed the European races to suit European time as well. So, yeah, it's fair. Um, you know, we're a pretty small market in Formula One TV audience, especially relative to the rest of the world. So they need to focus on America and Europe where the Correct. the TV ratings are. So I, I can understand why they do it. It just makes it a late uh, a late school night when you've got to get up and function on Monday morning. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the race. I thought it was good. I thought there was lots going on. It wasn't an object thriller. But it was a pretty decent Grand Prix with lots of overtaking. But if you'd watched any of the build-up, and I'm talking about the practice and qualifying on the, the Fox Sports or Sky Sports F1 coverage, yep. um, the, the pre-event media on various websites, Autosport, motorsport.com, Spec Cafe, et cetera, you would have not watched that Grand Prix because every single person in the lead-up to that race, be it team owners, drivers, technical people, were going, oh, there's not going to be any overtaking Correct. There'll be no passing, the track's not good enough for racing, why have they got the chicane in the straight, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I'm delighted that they were proved wrong, but for mine, why would you promote your sport that way? Mm. I, I don't understand. Now, I'm, I'm all for calling it like it is, and it's nice to see drivers starting to have a bit more of an opinion and saying what they feel and having a voice about how they think the sport is going, and we know F1's in a difficult time at the moment with their regulations that don't promote good car racing. Um, and if you can't have a good Canadian Grand Prix, and I think this is what stirred it off, and Canada's traditionally been one of the best races of the year, old school track, lots of straights, promotes great racing. Um, if you can't have a good Canadian Grand Prix, you're not going to have a good race anywhere. But they've got into this mentality now that of expecting every race to be boring. And... I don't think that's particularly good. Imagine if you leaned no. over, and, and and I don't want to take this too far, Shebex, but no, no, no. imagine if you leaned over to your partner one romantic evening and said, no. Let, let's go and have some quiet time. It's not going to be very good. I'm just going to tell you straight up before we get into it. It'll be terrible, but let's go and do it anyway. Well, their reaction's going to be, well, no, I don't want to be involved in that. And for mine, it's the same with motor racing. If we roll into the Bathurst 1000 and go, We know this race is going to be terrible. There's not going to be any overtaking. There won't be any dramatic moments. Why would you bother watching? Yeah, true. So as a sport, I feel like we need to do a better job of promoting our own product until at least we know for sure that it's not going to be a great motor race. Now, we might have got 25 laps into that race, and there might have been 20 cars running around three seconds apart from each other, and you go to bed and go, well, that was a shocker. But as it turned out, there was carnage at Turn 1, there was carnage at Turn 3 and 4, there were drivers charging through the field. There was some really legitimately good motor racing. And I I enjoyed the race. So it just irked me that before we even knew what the product was like, because we haven't had a Grand Prix at Paul Ricard for three decades, um, everyone was ready to shoot the product down. So I think we need to be a bit careful about that. Say what you think, sure. But let's just be a little bit positive in talking up the sport because otherwise, why bother watching it? That's that's my sort of point. Yeah, we sort of do it a little bit, don't we, with Bathurst to the extent that we all
0: say that that middle section of lap 40 to lap 120 is just very much a consolidation stay on the track, make sure nothing happens, and that you're alive for the last hour or two to actually be in the race. So, I suppose we have a little bit of that in well, regards...
1: Bathurst, Bathurst would probably go the other way, Shebex, in that we... We, it's so now mystified and, and so hyped up that if we get a dull Bathurst 1000, and I'm not convinced we ever will, <laughs> mm. but if we get a dull Bathurst 1000, everyone's going to be gutted. And it, look, it was much the same with the Indy 500 this year. The last three 500s have been epic races, which have gone down to the final lap. This year didn't. The guy won, Power won by three or four seconds and it didn't have that same breathtaking style very dangerous, edge-of-your-seat sole slipstreaming pack racing. Yeah. Um, but it was legitimately a very good car race. But after the last three years, everyone was like, oh, well, that wasn't great. So, yeah, there's there's two extremes, isn't there? We go too far in hyping up to great races and we go too far in talking down races we don't think are going to be good. Uh, a little bit of moderateness, I don't even know if that's the right word to use, uh, being a bit moderate in our comments, I think, in previewing races and... Um, and I'm not just talking about you and I, I'm talking about the sport in general, I reckon is probably probably where we need to be because like I said if you go into a Grand Prix knowing that it's going to be a terrible race, why would you bother staying up until 1.30 in the morning to watch it?
0: Look and I'll tell you what though Richard, there's been plenty of Grand Prix that I've watched uh, over the last year or two where I've watched the first 10 laps and and just gone to bed and thought I know exactly what this result's
1: going to be But you know, it's like the footy not every game can be a kick-after-the-siren thriller, or North Melbourne v. Western Bulldogs that we saw on the weekend, which was a classic game of football. But the other five games this round were pretty average, and they were decent margins, and they weren't great from a sporting contest point of view. So not every game can be a thriller, and it's the same with every motor race. Not every race can be a thriller. But, yeah, I, I I feel like we need to talk our own product up a little bit more on some occasions, especially when we don't know what the outcome's going to be. That'd be like us going, you know, supercars are going to tail and Bend in August. Now, I'm not sure how they're going to race there. It's I honestly don't it's know. be shocking. Well, it might be, but no, we're be. not going to wander around going, oh, it's going to be a terrible weekend because, again, why would you go? Ah, it could turn out to be the best supercar track in the world, but we correct. just don't know. Yeah. Anyway, no, that's, yeah, exactly, no that, and that's fair enough too.
0: Mm. I'm hearing what you're saying now. Lewis Hamilton wins. Max Verstappen second. Kimi Räikkönen third uh, getting past a, a wounded Daniel Ricciardo who did his absolute best to hold off Kimi until the last few laps. Just couldn't do it. And you're right, the driver of the day, and I hope mm. it did, I didn't, actually, didn't actually get uh, get to see or didn't watch to see if it was voted the driver of the day, was Sebastian Vettel who came from 18th after the start and yeah. uh, made his way up to 5th. And, well, for... For the sake of the fact that the other cars were going so well, he probably could have got a little bit higher, but uh, yeah, got past everyone else.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was a great drive uh, despite himself because he cannonballed Bottas at turn one, um, and he he did a he did a Max Verstappen at turn one, and Max was asked about that in the press conference after the race and said, "Oh yeah, he definitely needs to change his style." He actually did quite a nice job of taking the Mickey out of. Um, Out of the journalists who, you know, not more than three or four Grand Prix ago were giving Max all sorts of grief about his driving style. So, yeah, frustrating start for for Vettel, but um, he got off the line so well and was trying to find a way past a a wall of silver arrows that couldn't couldn't make room for him. So, um, yeah, great drive through the field, and that's what helped create some of the overtaking in the race. Um, I thought Daniel drove very well unfortunately um broken element front wing so he had some understeer in the second phase of the race the last part of the race so ended up dropping behind uh, Kimi Raikkonen uh, interesting stat the commentators were talking about Raikkonen's now gone 25 podium finishes without winning a race Wow! It's been more than 100 grand Prix since he's won but excuse me in that time period he's been on the podium 25 times so I don't know if that makes you past it or just unlucky I don't know how that works but Anyway, good, good for Kimi. Um, and, yeah, recovery drive for Vettel, get some points, uh, move on to Silverstone and, um, well, they're in Austria next week and then Silverstone the week after. So, uh, yeah, going to be uh, going be interesting to see how this World Championship plays out. But it well, certainly looks like the Mercs have got a, a bit of an upgrade with this new engine they're running.
0: Had Vettel not finished, we might have had about a race gap between Hamilton and Vettel in the Championship. It now turns out yeah. to be 14 points. Daniel yep. Ricciardo third on ninety six, so Hamilton one forty five, yep. Vettel one thirty one. So the fact that he actually got to fifth,
1: yeah, it keeps that championship alive. Yeah, correct, hundred oh, percent. and you know they've they've each of them had a seventeen point lead at one point or another in this championship. So Vettel led early, was overhauled by Lewis, then he built that seventeen point margin up. Then after Vettel's win in Montreal a couple of weeks ago, that came back to being one point to the way of Vettel. So. It's ebbed and flowed all season and there's no reason to suggest, unless Ferrari tread on it, that it's going to be uh, any different for the rest of the year. Exactly.
0: Josef Newgarden turned into Gosef Newgarden at Road America. (laughs) That's bad. That is shocking, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) Nice (laughs) solid win, though, from the front all the way.
1: Yeah, it was important too for for Newgarden. He won early in the season and looked like he was going to be really strong in his title defence but then the wheels fell off. The last couple of races didn't have a great 500 after that wasn't great so it was important for him to grab a victory at Road America um, one of the great racetracks yeah. in the world and uh I've just seen that IndyCar and Road America have renewed for another three years there and that that event is actually on my my must-do racing list I'd probably go to Road America IndyCar before I go back to the Indy 500 I reckon um, it, it just looks amazing massive festival in the middle of uh, Wisconsin mm. so um yeah good stuff Will Power had a shocker uh, not a great day for the Aussie. Yeah, two laps into the race. So, um, he's now fifth in the championship behind Newgarden. Uh, Dixon leads. Oh, five time. Well, it could be five time. He's won four championships, Scott Dixon. And for a guy that usually finishes the season stronger than he starts, the fact that he's got a, what, 50, 60, 90, 90 40 odd point, 45 point lead in the championship uh, going into the last sort of swing of six or seven races. He's pretty scary for everybody else. Uh, Ryan Hunter Ray second in the standings and had a really good run to second overall overnight. Um, so Sato was fourth, which was nice. He yeah. deserves a result, uh, had a pretty unlucky year and Robert Wickens in P5 for schmidt Peterson and Graham Rahal six. So yeah, pretty interesting race. Um, shame for willpower. He's still in the title fight though. You've, you've just got to be within a hundred points going into the final round and you can still have a win. So, uh, yeah, will needs a couple of victories though coming up.
0: Real sad story coming out of America over the weekend as well with uh, the tragic death of Jason Johnson, the Speedway champion. Uh, went on to win the 2016 Knoxville Nationals uh, only a couple of years ago, and uh, yeah, just sad that he uh, died doing what he loves.
1: Yeah, right. Speaking of Wisconsin racing at um, one of the most brilliantly American named track, Beaver Dam Raceway, Beaver had a big Dam. crash. Um, Massive shame. Jason was a bit of a staple in the Australian sprint car scene and uh, a long time contender in the World Series Sprint Cars Championship and run the Australian Sprint Car Championship events and national titles. Um, so got known quite well here and uh, raced for a couple of big teams. Uh, raced for Darren Disbury based out of uh, over here in Adelaide and uh, had a lot of success at Speedway City in particular. I spent a lot of time watching him race. Really good driver. Massive shame. Um, gone a long time. Uh, before his time and um, yeah, it's it's the nature of Speedway, it's still very, very dangerous, that's why people still do it and why people still watch it, um, but unfortunately sometimes things like this happen, so uh, he went, and it's a cliche, but he went doing what he loved, um, that won't be any solace to his family no. or friends or fans, but um, at the same point he was up on the wheel and known for doing what he was doing so well, which was driving a sprint car better than a lot of people, so Uh, Yeah, very sad that we lose him at just 41 years of age.
0: Hey, Krosby, I read a story on speakfa.com during the week in regards to DTM and Super GT confirming that they're going to move to a a common class and effectively have joint rounds and all that sort of stuff. Take us through the machinations of this, and is it brought on the, the back of the fact that people are starting to leave the DTM category and making their way into Formula E, Mercedes being one car especially?
1: Uh, I think that's probably the catalyst. They work to find commonality between those two formulas has been going on for longer than it, Mercedes has been known to be pulling out. Um, yeah, it, it's a way, I suppose, of bringing or or opening the door to other makes to come into the DTM, which has often been seen as a closed shop between um, the German manufacturers, so BMW Audi and, and Mercedes-Benz in the past. Opel have been heavily involved as well. Um, so... Yeah, it, it's a difficult one. Um, the, the cars, to be honest, aren't that far apart. Mm-hmm. So Japanese GT or Super GT as it is over there, which is very confusing given our penchant for putting Super in front of everything over here, um, their they're GT500 class, the outright class, are pretty extreme jiggers, carbon fibre, big wings, and they don't look that different to DTM cars. They're probably a little bit quicker, um, but... There's not a huge amount of difference between them. DTM cars, as we know, and anyone who follows the sport will know, are uh, pretty serious racing cars. Carbon fiber monocell in the middle, um, no real resemblance to the road cars, but but that's fine. And the product is pretty extreme. Um, they are extremely expensive though, and very very high tech. And they've got all the almost all the technology of for Formula One car. So they're very serious bits of um, uh, bits of machinery. So yeah, convergence between them is about giving the DTM cars a a tweak to bring them up a little bit and they're going to go to a turbocharged four-cylinder engine with over 600 horsepower and then bringing the Japanese cars, I would suggest, back a little bit and then ultimately by 2021, I think the plan is ending up with the same set of regulations. So the German manufacturers, a BMW or an Audi, can then go and race in Japan and vice versa. The manufacturers involved in Super GT, in Honda and Toyota and Nissan, can do the same and go and race in germany so it makes common sense chevex and to be brutally honest it's the same thing we should be doing with new zealand uh and southeast asia is that yeah. we should have the same kind of regs amongst a, a main touring car category and i'm not talking about tcr so don't write in about that um uh across those regions so you can race the same car in, in more region than just your your home country i think it's smart i'm wondering if it might be a little bit too too late because the DTM is going to struggle without Mercedes there and and just cars from BMW and from Audi. But um, it's interesting. It's really interesting, and I'm keen to see how it progresses because they're cool cars, and they make for pretty good motor racing too.
0: And finally, before we let you go, mate, and uh, next week we might have a chat about uh, supercars halfway mark. A bit of a health check on uh, teams and where they're at heading into Townsville and sort of the the start of the second half. Ooh, of the I'm
1: going to get some. I'm going to get some notes on Drive Racing Australia and just uh, see where we go with that one. I, I think can't wait to see those stats. <laughs> uh, if you get the chance, too, folks, our great it. friends
0: at, uh, at Speakfa dot com. Uh, get on there and have a look at the WTCR race. Crash. 27-car pile-up. Yeah. Car pile up.
1: yeah. <laughs> it <was> just amazing. <laughs> they just uh, kept on. It
0: was like a domino thing, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, straight circuit Villarreal in uh, Spain. Uh, Portugal, I think it is. Yeah, Portugal,
0: it? yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, close enough. Uh, don't write in Spanish or Portuguese. Um, I think they both speak Spanish, though. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grazie. No, that's, that's, that's the wrong Italian, country. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, crazy crash, wasn't it? Oh, Huge yeah. A huge ton. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know what to say about it, except that it was an absolute Barry Crocker and they should probably go and have a good hard look at themselves. Uh, we, I don't want to say too much because we did a pretty good job of munting up the whole field at Simmons Plains a couple of years ago. So, <laughs> yes. you know, it's it's not outside our bounds of doing the same thing. But, um, yeah, the, the two Sebastian Loeb racing cars that were right at the front of it, Rob Huff, former world champion, uh, new Rush, the Bathurst 12-hour, actually, a couple of times yeah. uh, was involved in that. Both of their cars have been written off. So they've got to have two brand-new VW Golf GDI TCR cars for the next round. So it's just a, an enormous accident, isn't it? And Massive. just one of those unfortunate things where cars pinball off each other in between the arcade.
0: The start was delayed by two hours in order to clean up the mess. Yeah,
1: so, unbelievable. Well. Hey, buddy,
0: always great to catch up. Uh, look forward to that Supercars health check now next week, now that you've sort of yeah. preempted it a little bit.
1: Well, I, I called them Pro Drive, for starters, which shows how much uh, they've been in the forefront of everyone's mind this year. Uh, tick for oh, racing, of course. Tick for of course. Um, Don't write in. Yeah. I, I think we should do it like a school grade. Oh, and, yes, no, for uh, grade, sure. Grade them a, a plus through F and uh, see where we come up with a bit of a mid-season report card. So we'll work on that. All right. Uh, tune in next week, and uh, I reckon we uh, might have some interesting grades. Richard, you enjoy a great
0: week, and we'll talk next Monday. I will. Thanks, Erector. Crowley joining us here on The Grid. Another episode wrapped up and locked in the can here on mypodcasthouse.com. Look forward to catching you next week.